Hi, I'm from the blog Short Stories and today I'm going to narrate one of my stories. It's called The Thief of Egypt, Part 3, Chapter 2. Just as she was about to leave the dark hallway and enter the main hallway, she heard a sound coming from inside the exhibit. It sounded like someone was chanting. The words sounded foreign to Zoe, but she knew that it sounded like Egyptian. And she heard her mother, Syrian Egyptian, open the phone a couple of times. She got and walked past the statues to push aside the curtains. As she opened it, she gasped and she saw the sarcophagus sitting in the middle of the room. She had never seen a sarcophagus in real life before, only in pictures. The dim white light from above revealed ceramic funeral pots that had carvings of animal heads on them. They were sitting in glass display cases. Tiny lamps sat at the back of the cases and cast a mysterious glow of light onto the ancient pieces of pottery. A diorama was placed in a display wall on the right side of the room. In it, tiny Egyptian slaves were working to build a tomb that was buried in a hill. A wax figure of a Caucasian man dressed in khaki clothing stood behind the last display case on the left. He held a shovel in his hand, and next to him stood a bronze plate that was affixed to the wall. Double doors that were made to look like stone stood at the back of the room. Zoe could barely see it as the lights in the room were too dim. Small black lamps surrounded the sarcophagus. Each one was affixed to the floor in the four corners of the boundary line that surrounded the sarcophagus. In each corner, a black rope was affixed to metal poles. They helped discourage any curious child or onlooker from touching the famous sarcophagus. After a while, she realized that the chanting was coming from behind the sarcophagus. As she got nearer, it got fainter until it came to a complete stop. Zoe stopped near the rope that surrounded the sarcophagus and placed her back down on the ground. As she admired the golden coffin, her phone started buzzing in her pocket. She took it out and saw that it was a text from Diana. It said, Hey dog, are you home? Zoe's heart started pounding in her chest as she remembered that she was supposed to be at home, studying. As she tried to come up with an excuse, she glanced up and noticed that the lid on the inner coffin was slightly ajar. She leaned over the rope to get a closer look at the inside of the coffin, expecting to see a mummy. As she stood on her toes and peeked through the opening, she saw that the inside of the coffin was empty. Huh? You must have taken out the mummy to preserve it. Zoe thought to herself. Zoe took a picture 
and put her phone back in her pocket. Just as she was about to land back on her heels, she looked back up and saw that the enormous coffin lid now lay at the base of the sarcophagus. As Zoe stood there, feeling puzzled, she felt herself being lifted up. As her legs dangled off the ground, she trashed against the force, but to no avail. It threw her into the coffin as pain exploded behind her eyes. She turned over and saw the lid slowly being pushed over the inner coffin. Blood slowly dripped from her forehead. As she held up her hands to try and push back the lid, she felt herself slowly lose consciousness. As the lid shut, the last thing she thought of was how worried everyone was going to be when they couldn't find her at home. Sefu In the early morning light, a young boy with dark skin and dark brown eyes sat at the edge of a huge river. His head was bald, except for a lot of hair that lay on the side of his head. He wore a white colored skirt that was pleated neatly. A golden belt bound the skirt around his lower body. A golden necklace imbued with green colored gems and in the shape of a this set on his chest. A few pieces of papyrus paper set in his hand as he used a thin reed pen to draw the scenery that lay before him. A large forest lay on the opposite side of the river. Tall palm trees, reed plants and flags dotted the sides of the riverbank. He was sitting on a rock surrounded by reed plants. Next to him sat a black oil lamp in the shape of a teapot. The reed bushes waved in the wind as a gentle breeze blew over the river. On the ground and next to him lay a medium-sized dog with pointed ears, soft brown eyes and fur the colour of caramel. The light brown colour of its thin fur coat was broken up by a big patch of white on its chest, neck, and front legs. It lay its head on its front paws and lay down next to the boy, contented. The boy was shrying the leaves of a palm tree when a huge bird with long black legs landed on the opposite riverbank. Its black head stood in contrast to its thick plume of white feathers. As it used as it used its thin and long beak to search for fish in the river. The boy slowly placed a hand on his dog's head and shook his head. The dog whined but went back into its resting position. He used his pen and carefully sketched an outline of the bird into the landscape picture he was currently drawing. As he was starting to draw his eyes, the dog stood up and growled. Suddenly, an arrow flew above his head and almost hit the bird, but it flew away in time, and the arrow pierced the ground of the riverbank instead. A black cat leaped out from the reed bushes behind him and tackled his dog to the ground. The boy groaned and said, I, my dear sister, why will you do such a thing? 
you know not to disturb me during my drawing sessions. A young girl, with skin the colour of caramel, walks out from behind a fig tree and stood next to him as their pets wrestled with each other. Her long black hair was plaited neatly and the tail end of her hair hung over her shoulders. She wore a white, tight-fitting dress with golden straps and a brown leather rope was tied around her waist. In her hand lay a simple wooden bowl. Her dark blue earrings and golden necklace glinted as the fire from its own lamp cast a shadow of them onto the reed bushes. What are you doing here, dear brother? It is too early in the morning and breakfast has not even been served yet, I asked him. She snapped her fingers and the black cat got off the dog and walked to her side. The dog growled at it and licked its wounds. I wanted to do some leisurely activities before the day had started, the boy explained. As he said this, the sun started rising opposite the bank. It slowly lit up the sky and shone down on the siblings. He was tall and lanky. His big brown eyes were lined with black colour coal ink. In comparison, Ayn was slender but well built. Her eyes were sharper and her black eyeliner accentuated her almond shaped eyes. The boy took the lamp from her, from the rock, and extinguished its flame. Let us go back to our rooms before our servants find our beds empty, Ayn said. The boy nodded and gathered his papyrus and red pen from the rock and called over his dog. He came over to his side immediately and whined. The boy leaned down to pat his head. He turned to Ayn and said, Will you please tell your cat to stop bullying Saha? I can already see some blood from her scratches. Ayn smirked and said, I cannot help it if Saha is weaker than Nanu. Just be thankful she lets him go when he surrenders. As the sun rose higher in the sky, the siblings arrived back at the palace. The palace guards saw them and bowed. Welcome back to the palace, Prince Sefu and Princess Ayn, one of the palace guards said. The guards wore white skirts with a plated section in the front. They also wore light metal armor over their torso and a white headdress on their head. They held a golden spear to the side of their body as they used their strong forearms to push open the double doors that were made of stone. Sefu and I walked through the doors and entered a large garden. On each side of the stone pathway, bay palm trees, sycamore fig trees, wooden trellises that supported grapevines, and other types of flowers like flax and jasmine. A small pond sat in the middle of the garden, on the right side of the pathway. Water lilies lay on the dark green water, and frogs leaped on their leaves as ducks swam around them. A wooden bench sat behind it, shielded from the sun by a wooden trellis that lay below a palm tree. On the left side of the garden, 
among tall palm trees, set rows of garden beds. Each one was ploughed to perfection, and different types of roots and herbs were being grown on them. Sefu greeted an elderly male servant who was busy watering a bed of watermelons. Good morning, Kabesh. Sefu greeted him politely. Kabesh was a bald man with dark skin, thick grey eyebrows, and small black eyes, and a thin grey beard. He wore a simple loincloth over his lower body. Unlike the prince on the guards, his hands were coarse, and blisters covered parts of his skin. He looked up at Sefu and quickly kneeled onto the ground. Prince Sefu, forgive me for I did not hear you come to the garden, Kabesh said. Stand up, Kabesh. You don't need to kneel before me. You have known me since I was born. You are my friend, Sefu said. Nonsense, my prince. I don't deserve to breathe the same air as you, Kabesh said. Sefu, you must make haste and return to our beds. Our mother will punish us, Ayn said, as she tugged at his arm. Till we meet again, Kabesh, Sefu said. Till we meet again, Prince Sefu. Kabesh stood up and bowed. Both of them quickly walked past the huge pillars and hurried through the temple. Their footsteps made little sound as their bare feet ran over the ground. They ran past two huge statues that sat on opposite sides of a sun disk. The sun disk was carved into a stone wall and was shown emanating sun rays. The sun's rays shone down on the outstretched hands of the statues. They exited the temple and ignored the surprised faces of the guards who stood at the entrance of the temple. As they ran past an immaculate lawn that bordered the stone pathway, I looked up at the sky and said, Hurry, Sefu, our mother will be awake soon. They quickly ran to the back door of the palace and waited for the guards to open the mud brick door. When they did, the siblings ran through a hallway and dashed into the throne room. They ran up the stairs and ran to their rooms. Ayn's bedroom lay opposite Sefu's. She opened her wooden door and rushed into a room with Nanu. Sefu opened his door and was about to rush into his when he heard a woman's voice say, Well, well, what do we have here? Without Sefu, what are you doing out there? Sefu stiffened and slowly turned around. In front of him stood a tall and slender woman with skin the colour of caramel. Her almond-shaped eyes stared down at Sefu's turn. She wore a loose white robe with golden straps and a dark brown leather belt at her waist. She was dressed like Ayn, but unlike Ayn, she had green eyeshadow on her eyelids and golden earrings on her earlobes. She wore a wig that was shoulder length. Golden clasps adorned each braid on her hair. A golden crown that was made to look like eagle wings framed her face and sat on the top of her head. 
a golden cobra sat in the front. Sefu gulped and said, Good morning, mother. You look beautiful as always. I was just coming back from the toilet. Oh, because I could have sworn I saw you and I run past the throne a few moments ago. And what is that in your hand? Emine asked. Sefu looked down at the papers in his hands and said, It was my fault, mother. I was the one who left the palace to draw. I asked Ayn to follow me, as I was worried that I would be lonely out there. Aminette walked up to Sefu and took the paper off his, out of his hands. She squinted and assessed his artwork. It is adequate, but there is room for improvement, Aminette said. With Sefu's smile, Aminette continued. But soon, you'll be old enough to take over your father's throne. When the day comes, you must stop this foolish endeavor and learn more important things like military training. Sefu's smile dropped and he looked down. Zaha looked up at him and licked his fingers. Aminette smiled, placed her hand on his shoulder and said, Go back to your room, change into clean clothing and join us for breakfast. Yes, mother, Sefu said as he opened his door. As he walked into his room, he slumped his shoulders and wondered why he was so different from Ayn. He closed his door and changed his clothing. Sefu opened his door at the same time as Ayn. She looked at his face and went over to help him. I heard everything. Don't worry, Sefu. When the time comes, I'll make sure that I'll take on the tough training and you can concentrate on your drawings, Ayn said. Thank you, Ayn, but you don't have to sacrifice your happiness for me. I can handle the tough training, Sefu said. Ayn punched his hand lightly and said, You jest, Sefu. Your hands are too weak. Trust me, I will have a better chance of commanding the army than you. Both of them walked through the long hallway that was lit up by torches on the walls. They walked to the throne room, where a golden throne sat on a stone platform with stone steps. The steps led down to the lower floor. There, citizens would kneel down and pay their respects to the king and the queen. Huge stone statues that depicted ancient gods sat between the huge pillars. Each one of them stood on a stone pedestal. Iron braziers stood below them, and the fire from the braziers lit up the room. The harsh glow of light made the statues look intimidating and fierce as they stood guard over the throne room. They turned right and walked through an oblong shaped archway as they walked down another long hallway. Sefu suddenly felt weak, and his legs wobbled as he felt himself slowly lose his balance. He started swaying, and I quickly caught him as he fell forward. Sefu, what has happened to you? I asked him worriedly. Sefu slowly straightened up and said, I don't know what has befallen me, Ayn, 
but don't worry, it has gone away. Ayn frowned, but said nothing and took his hand. Both of them walked into the banquet room. King Kofu sat at the end of a long and lavish wooden table. He was a lean man with dark skin and dark brown eyes. He wore a gold and blue striped headdress on his bald head. A golden cobra and a voucher sat on the front of the headdress. And he wore a necklace that was similar to Sefu's. Lastly, he wore a white skirt that was made of silk. Two golden armbands encircled his arms and glinted in the light. Gold vines decorated the edges of the table. And in the center of the table sat a golden bowl that held a blue jewel. The walls of the room held colorful drawings of animals and daily life in Egypt. Two female servants stood side by side. They had dark skin and brown hair and they wore simple white dresses with single straps over their shoulder. Kofu saw Ayn and Sefu and waved them over to his side. Come children, come sit near your father. Kofu smiled. Aminette sat next to him on the right. She watched the children sternly as they sat opposite her. Kofu snapped his fingers and the two female servants bowed. They walked through a round archway behind him and disappeared into the darkness. A few minutes later, they came back and they were carrying bowls and plates for food on wooden trays. The servants placed plates on the table and placed two pieces of flatbread on each of them. Next, they placed a bowl of fruit on the table and poured wine from a brown ceramic jug into wooden water bowls. They placed the bowls of wine next to Kofu and Aminet. The servants used another wooden jug and poured milk into two wooden bowls. They placed this next to Sefu and I. When the servants placed the trays at the other end of the table and returned to his side, Kofu gestured to the meal on the table and said, Let us eat our first meal of the day. Sefu and I quickly tore up the thick pieces of flatbread and ate them heartily. Amunet slowly tore pieces of hers and ate them in small bites. Kofu looked at everyone and smiled as he slowly tore off pieces of flatbread. After everyone was done with their meal, the servants used the trays to stack up the bowls and plates. They bowed to everyone and left through the archway. Aminet, what happened while I was away? Kofu asked. Things have been the same, my king. Except that this morning, Sefu sneaked out of his room and strung Ayn along with him. Both of them went to the river, unattended. Aminet said in a matter-of-fact voice. I see. Did you punish them? Kofu asked Aminet. I did, 
not thinking. But I scolded both of them. They knew better than that. They could have gotten kidnapped, or they could have gotten lost. Harrynette said, What? No, mother, I was about to say. Harrynette gave her a stern look, and I closed her mouth. I'm glad that you managed to handle the situation on your own, Kufu said to Harrynette. Kufu turned to Ayn and Sefu and said, Now children, why don't you head back to your rooms? I have some things I need to discuss with your mother. Ayn took Sefu's hand, and both of them slowly stood up from their chairs. We are glad that you are home, father, Ayn said. Kufu smiled warmly and said, So am I, Ayn, so am I. Ayn let Sefu out of the banquet room. As they walked through the archway, Sefu heard his father say, I managed to settle the situation, but we lost some of the soldiers to the enemy. Ayn and Sefu walked back to their rooms and were about to go in when Sefu suddenly felt dizzy. He felt the strength leave his legs, and before he knew it, he collapsed to the ground. He could hear the faint sound of Ayn shouting for help before darkness consumed him. Zoe. Zoe coughed and opened her eyes as she awoke in the darkness. She slowly sat up and felt the floor. It was hard and cool. She used her left hand to touch her forehead and winced. As she touched her widow's peak, she felt something wet and sticky on her hands. She felt in her skirt pocket and found her phone. She unlocked the screen and saw that it was cracked. Zoe sighed. Great. Now I need to buy a new phone. Zoe said to herself. She looked back up and panned her phone around the area. The white light from her phone barely penetrated the darkness as she scanned the area. All she could see were dirt stone walls. The room was small. And she panned her phone to the right side of the room. She saw an opening in the stone wall. It was rectangular shaped and big enough for a regular sized human to walk through. Darkness lay beyond the opening and Zoe started feeling queasy as she realized that there may be no way out of this room. She looked down at her left hand and shined a light on it. She gasped when she saw blood on her hands. What happened to me? Where am I? Zoe said to herself. Suddenly, she remembered being lifted off the ground and thrown into a sarcophagus. How did I get here? Never mind. I need to get out of here. This place makes me uneasy. Zoe said to herself. As Zoe stood up, her legs felt unsteady and she had to place her hand on the wall to support herself. Her head was aching, and all she wanted to do was lie back down. But she knew that if she stayed in this room, she might end up dying from suffocation. The air was dry and dusty, and Zoe struggled to breathe as there was little oxygen in the stone room. 
She used her phone to light the way and made her way to the opening. She entered a long and rectangular empty room. It was made up of the same materials as the room she was in. As she walked further on, she saw two openings at the end of the room. One on the left and one on the right. After much deliberation, she chose the one on the left. She walked down a narrow and cramped passageway. After a few minutes, she saw a light at the end of the passageway and saw sunlight streaming through a rectangular shaped hole in the ceiling. Stone steps, the colour of sand, stood at the bottom. Zoe placed her phone in her pocket. Then she used her right hand to shield her eyes from the harsh sun and climbed up the steps. A small gust of hot wind blew against her face as she walked up the last step. She emerged from a dark hole and into a small barren valley that lay deep within a mountain. Low peaks dotted the area of the valley. As she used a palm to shield her eyes, she realized that she was standing in the middle of an intersection. Smaller dirt paths emerged from the intersection and spread out across the back of the valley. As she looked at the peaks, she noticed that each one of them had a huge rectangular opening carved into each rock face. The openings were carved to match the slope of the rock and each one was slanted at an angle. A few tombs were smaller and carved lower on the ground. Where the hell am I? Zoe said to herself. As she glanced up at the scorching sun, she said, Well, I'm definitely not in New York anymore. She took out her phone from her pocket and stared at the cracked screen. She groaned. Great, no reception too. This day just keeps getting better and better. Zoe said sarcastically. She looked at the white path in front of her and said, It seems there is only one way out of here. I better go this way. She slowly walked as the scorching heat from the sun caused her to sweat. As she exited the main dirt path and walked along a bigger dirt road, she looked around and saw a flat land filled with sand. She looked ahead and saw that the path was interspersed with rocky cliffs near the side of the road. Huh, I guess I'm in a desert of some kind, Zoe thought to herself. She walked for 30 minutes before she had to take off her sweater and tie it around her waist. Sweat started pouring down her face and she used her sneeze to wipe off as much as she could. Maybe I'm in a desert in Arizona, but why would someone kidnap me and send me here? So he said, as she panted in the heat. After a while, she looked down at her phone and saw that she had been walking for an hour. The pain in her head was getting worse and her lips started to feel dry and cracked. She walked past another cliff and over a rock. After another 30 minutes, she felt her throat ache as she dragged her feet over the hot ground. She licked her parched lips and wished for a sip of water. 
she missed the cool weather in New York. She was used to the warm weather in California, but the heat in this desert was different. It boiled down on her and made her feel like she was being cooked in a hot oven. She walked as much as she could before she stopped and dropped to the ground on her knees. Even though the hot ground scorched her knees, she didn't notice it as she started slowly drifting in and out of consciousness. As her eyes closed and she collapsed to the ground, she thought she heard hooves hitting the ground in the distance. Someone placed something cold against her lips. Zoe slowly opened her eyes and saw a bald man with dark skin and brown eyes. He only wore a long white skirt on his lower body, leather sandals, and black eyeliner blind edges of his eyes. He said some words in a foreign language, and Zoe gave him a puzzled expression. He placed a hand over his mouth and made a notion of drinking water. Zoe opened her mouth as cold milk flowed down into her mouth. She slowly drank the milk, and when he took away the small wooden bowl from her lips, she tried to sit up. Where am I? she asked him. The man tilted his head to one side and frowned. You probably don't understand me. I guess I'm not in Arizona then, Zoe said. Zoe started to notice that they were on a wooden cart with wheels. Another man with dark skin and similar clothing sat on a seat in front of the cart. He held reins made from rope. He whistled while he steered a donkey in the right direction. He, she took her phone out of her pocket. It still had no signal. When the man saw the phone, he jumped back in surprise as his eyes opened wide. He pointed at her phone and shouted some words in a foreign language. Oh, this? It's just a phone. Why are you so surprised? Haven't you seen a phone before? Zoe asked him. As he stared at her, a thought dawned on her. Oh, maybe it's because you're from a rural area. Zoe said to him. The man slowly regained his, his composure and crawled nearer to Zoe. She handed him her phone and he reluctantly took it from her. He examined the phone from all angles. When his finger accidentally pressed the power button, it turned off by itself. He threw the phone at Zoe as he scrambled backwards. Zoe held in her laugh. She didn't want to be rude to a rescuer and she was very grateful for his help. After a while, they passed through a border made of white rock. Two men with white headdresses stood at the entrance. Both of them wore leather vests, a leather belt over their white skirts, and leather sandals with laces that wrapped around their legs. The guard who had a scar on his cheek held a spear in his hand, while the other guard on the right held a wooden bowl. The guard on the left held up his hand and said some foreign words to the man in the front seat. The driver replied, and the guard nodded. He said some words to the other guard, 
and they moved aside to let the cart pass by them. When the cart was a considerable distance away from the front entrance, it stopped outside a white color mud brick house. They had two square shaped holes cut in each side of the front entrance. A roof made of reed covered the top of the houses. The man in the back of the cart pulled up a white iron sheet from behind him. Zoe peeked out from beneath it and the man gestured for Zoe to follow him. He held her hand and led her down the cart. As they walked past the driver, the man took a loaf of bread out of a cloth pouch that hung on his waist. He looked down at it hungrily before placing it in the driver's hands. The driver smiled and said some words to the man. The man nodded back before taking Zoe's hand. He led her past the mud brick house and they turned to walk into a small alleyway. He placed a finger on his lips. Zoe nodded and they walked between a row of identical houses that had wooden doors on them. Zoe was surprised that no one had bumped into them as it was daytime. Suddenly, a young girl ran out of the door in front of them. The man pushed Zoe into a tiny space between two houses. He took on a casual stance and leaned against the wall. When the child picked up her yellow ball and headed back inside her house, the man waved Zoe over and they walked past two more houses before he led her into the third house on the right. He used an old-fashioned metal cane to unlock the door and they walked through the doorway. Zoe glanced around the room. Sunlight streamed through the square-shaped windows and shone down on the room. It was painted in white, sparsely furnished, and only had a few things in it. In the middle of the room sat a stone platform. It was only a few inches higher than the third floor, and a big reed mat sat on it. To the left of the room stood a counter made of mud brick. It protruded out of the wall. Below it were squarish holes that served as a sort of cupboard. It held wooden dishes and porcelain pots. Above the counter stood two long shelves that were made of mud brick. A few reed baskets sat next to the counter. It smelled like there were herbs in them. On the right stood a small niche that was carved into the wall. In it stood a stone carving of a man with the head of a bird. A small basket of fruits and grapes and dates sat at the base of the statue. Two white candles sat opposite the basket and lit up the niche from within. Next to the niche stood an oblong doorway that was carved into the wall. The man led Zoe through it and they entered a short hallway. There were two oblong shaped doorways on each side of the passageway. At the end of the hallway was a square opening that led into a small courtyard. The man gestured for Zoe to follow him into the opening on the right. They entered a small room that had two small reed mats on the ground. Like the main room, it was painted white with a window that looked out onto the enemy. 
A small wooden carving that looked like a bench sat at the head of the meat mat. A small wooden chest stood at the base of the wall, next to the mats. At the back of the room stood a small wooden wardrobe with a drawer at the bottom. On the left side of the room stood a wooden bench with a tea table next to it. On it sat a few ceramic white pots that contained makeup like black ink and red powder. A few wooden brushes and wooden sticks lay on a wooden tray. A wooden comb and a wooden handheld mirror sat next to them. The man gestured for her to sit on the bench and he disappeared through the doorway. A few moments later, he came back in and offered her two juicy plums and a loaf of bread on a small wooden plate. He thrust them in her hands and made the motion of eating them with his fingers. He also placed a bowl of water next to her. Thank you, Zoe said to him. Even though she knew that he probably didn't understand her, she still felt grateful that he didn't leave her on the side of the road to die and even treated her as a guest in his house. When she started eating the plums, he smiled and motioned for her to stay there. Then he left the room. Zoe waited for an hour before walking out of the room. She walked to the other bedroom on the left to try and find the man. He was not in it. He must have gone out, Zoe thought to herself. She saw that the room was similar to hers, except that it was a bit bigger and there was a niche carved into the wall next to where the mats were placed. In it stood a statue of a woman with a hippopotamus head. Flowers were placed on a woven plate made of reed. Two candles and an incense plate surrounded a plate of flowers. The statue spoke like the ones in the museum, so he mused. Come to think of it, the desert looks awfully a lot like the one in the storybook. Where did it take place again? Zoe said to herself. She walked back into the first room and sat on the bench. Oh, Egypt! That's where the book said the place was. And the statues looked like the ones in the Egyptian exhibit. Zoe said to herself. Realization dawned on her face. Oh my god, I'm in Egypt. But why would someone dump me in Egypt and run off? And why dump me in a stone room beneath a rock? And Zoe leaned back on the wall and tried to process everything that had happened to her. Her eyelids slowly drooped as the day wore on. I have come to the end of part 3. I hope you like this story and stay tuned for the next one.